Is that Daniel? Is that your name again? Yes, thank you. I only had to remember his name. He had to remember a lot of stuff about me. So I, uh, when I first got the email inviting me to, to speak again, I went back online and listened to uh, several of the messages. Mostly I wanted to listen to mine to see, to remind myself what I said so that I wouldn't do the same thing. I'm, I've actually done that before. Last year at our congregational meeting, I stood up and and I had planned on sharing from my heart every year in June. They have this congregational meeting, and you're supposed to share something that God has on your heart, the pastor is, uh, to kind of kick it all off. And, and as I was sitting there reflecting on what I was about to share, uh, the treasurer read the minutes of last year's meeting. And I said, and last year, Jay shared with us from life lessons from Hebrews chapter 10. And I looked down, and my Bible was open to Hebrews chapter 10. And, and uh, so I stood up, and I said, well, that passage is still on my heart. And... Um, I don't think any of you remember what I said last year, so I'm going to say it again. And uh, so, so I didn't want to do that, so I, I went online. And I noticed one of the things that the pastors and the speakers all say is the first words they say is, thank you for the invitation. It is a honor to speak with you today. And, I, and as I clicked through there, except for the professors, I think they're just paid to be here. But, um, uh, all the other speakers, the outside, they all said it is an honor to be here. And I thought about that about I was going to say that again. And, but the reality is, I hope you know, that's not just something that we're taught to say before you speak at a college chapel. Um, it truly is an honor to be here. And uh, whenever I get the invitation to come speak, especially to young, young college kids at Bible college, you just, your mind goes back to when, when I was once young, and I was, um, and, and you think about all the things you wish somebody would have told you, you know, and so, and so then you... And then you have all these things that you want to say. And, and the instruction, I think, the parameter, where's Tasha? It was like to share some life verse that has changed you. And I was thinking, just one? Are you, are you kidding me? That's, it would have been better to assign me the nature of God or the work of self. You know, how do I narrow it down to one? And it took a little while to do that. And I thought of all the things I wanted to say. And then I heard these words from, from one of the speakers in the Bible. said, and let my words be few. So I'm going to endeavor to stand up, speak up, and shut up. Um, but I want to talk to you from John chapter 10, because as I reflected on what was one of the passages that marked me or changed me or had the most dramatic impact maybe on the direction of my life and ministry, it has to be John chapter 10. And from, from that passage, and we're going to look at verses 22 down to however long we can look in 20-some in minutes. Um, but mostly down, um, oh, I'm in John 10. That's why I didn't look familiar at all. It's a great passage, but it made no sense here. Uh, verses 22 down through, let's look in verse 30. Let's read the passage, and then I'll tell you what I want to say about it. Then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Father, as we look at those words of your Son, and Lord Jesus, as we consider what you said and what you meant, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide. Um, guide my thoughts and my words, and, and may we find truth together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, without going into all of the details of the passage, you guys are here studying that, so I'm going to trust you're going to figure out this was the Feast of Dedication, the Hanukkah celebration of the time when Judas Maccabees dedicated the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated the temple. This eight-day celebration, so that's what it's all about. And it's a wonderful passage, and the reason it so marked me is that I came to faith in Christ in a church of Christ or a Christian church. It was actually in the first church of Christ in Garrett, Indiana. I was born in uh, Sheridan, Montana, and lived actually in this area as well when I was this high. And when I was four, my parents divorced, and we moved back to Indiana, where Mom was from. And so I was actually in Garrett, Indiana, in March 27, 1977, at the First Church of Christ in Garrett, Indiana. That's where I gave my life to the Lord. That was, that was the date of my baptism. That was the date that I, um, in my understanding, became a Christian. We then moved back here to Montana to Immigrant. And at the time, Immigrant has about 1,500 people now. But back in 1978, there was a population of 58. And I think that included a couple of dogs. <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a really small event. And I attended the church that I'm now the pastor. I was, attended there as a teenager. And then my family moved into the Church of Christ, the non-instrumental Church of Christ, part of the Restoration Movement. Anybody familiar with those two churches, Christian Church, Church of Christ? That was where I came to faith in Christ. That's, that was my roots, as it were. And in that church, we didn't necessarily look at this passage the same way I believe you do. Um, we did not believe in security of a believer. We believed that salvation was by grace, through faith, but it was conditional in that I had to remain faithful to God in order to stay saved. And that's a little confusing, and it was quite confusing because I was there for a long time. Um, I was maybe 11 years as a believer unsure of my salvation. And even for several of those years, I was in ministry. I was a youth pastor in Tampa, Florida. And I believe salvation was a process that when a person hears the gospel, believes the gospel, uh, repents of their sin, and confesses Jesus Christ, and then is baptized by immersion in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2.38, for the remission of sins, that that's when you're saved. And then you have to keep living the life and not fall away and not lose your salvation. And so... I was holding on, I felt, by a thread to God. And yet the whole time I'm telling kids they need to give their lives to the Lord so they can go to heaven. But yet I wasn't really sure I was going to make it. In fact, most days I was pretty sure I wasn't going to make it. I, I, would, I would go to church on Sunday morning and we worship the Lord. And Church Christ was saying acapella, or I mean acapella, 
uh, a cappella. We didn't have instruments, things like that. And so we would sing and worship the Lord. And then before the preaching, the most important thing about a service in a church of Christ is the communion service. Every, every Sunday we would participate in communion. And we'd take communion. And, and my understanding, and dad, my dad would argue with me and say, that's not what they taught. And I said, well, that's what I caught, you know. What I caught was Sunday was kind of like a reset, kind of like Hillary's button with Russia. No, just kidding, not that. Um, Sunday morning was a, was a reset every week, every week with God that I, that I took this communion. I took the body of Christ into me. I drank the blood of Christ, not, not the Catholic transubstantiation, but just symbolically I was forgiven again. And then I had to do really good to try not to sin too much, and then try not to die, especially later in the week. Because the farther the week went along, the worse I got. Because I was a teenager, and I was in high school, and, and there were cheerleaders, and they were quite attractive, and I was not. I was in love with a lot of girls that Never knew I existed. I mean, even today, I moved back to the town where I went to high school. And they, people would say, what class are you in? I said, 81. They're like, I don't remember you. I said, well, join the club, you and every other girl in this town. You know, but, but at any rate, but, but that didn't stop my, you know, hormones and my lust and my sinfulness from coming. And every week, I thought I had to rededicate my life and get saved all over again every Sunday. And that went on for a long time, 11 years, 11 years. And I'm from Montana. Did I mention that? That means that I can be very stubborn. Anybody else from Montana? That's one of the characteristics of this state. You know, Jim, Jim Kena, who's a pastor here, Jim and I served together in Silent Springs, Arkansas for 14 years, different churches, but we were in the same town. The other day, Jim, well, it's been a year ago now, but Jim and I were talking, he said, Man, these Montana people. And I said, I know, I know, I am. He goes, you know, Jay, the more, I, the more I get to know the Montanans, the more I understand you now. And I went, what? Not very blessing of you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but I, I just struggled, you know, every week knowing whether or not I was saved. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, I, and I had a pastor that helped me come to an understanding because he didn't argue with me. He just asked me questions that I, he kept asking questions that I didn't have answers for. And he kept modeling grace and preaching grace. And he turned me on to this guy named John MacArthur, who when you're in the church of Christ, you're not supposed to listen to him because he's a false teacher, you know. And so, but I found a, that was back, there's this thing called cassette tapes. You might be a little young for that, but, you know, uh, there's these cassette tapes and they have sermons on them, you know, and you, and cars used to have, Oh, you're in college. You're driving those cars. They have those cassette tapes. <laughs> they have those things that you plug in the thing with the wire so you can plug in your eye. They actually used to put just regular cassette tapes in there. And, and I would listen to John MacArthur preach through the Gospel of John. And, and it wasn't until I still remember that it was at night. It was in 1988. It was in Tampa, Florida. And I was listening to John MacArthur preach on this passage here. And, and I realized that God loved me and that God saved me and that I wasn't going to perish. I'm telling you, I still remember it because 
I went to the floor. I remember the smell of the carpet, and I bawled my eyes out before the Lord. I just, I just was like, oh. I mean, some of your students are preaching, so you want, you want an outline here. That's why you come to chapel, so you have something to say here in a couple of years when you go out there. Uh, but but this, the, this discussion when they said, tell us plainly, if you're the Christ, tell us. He already did tell them. He even said that I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The, the miracles, the evidence is there, but you don't believe. He says the reason you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. And then he describes who his sheep are. And three characteristics of his sheep. They listen to the voice of Christ. They hear the call of Christ. They, he says, secondly, I know them. They are known by Christ. And, and it's only been a couple of years ago that the importance of getting the cart before the horse on that particular issue, it's less important for you to know Christ as it is for Christ to know you. Remember that passage in James, the demons believe and do what? Tremble, doesn't do them any good. You can know all about Jesus. You can take a course on the life of Christ. You, you can be like Judas. I preached about him last Sunday. He spent three and a half years with Christ. He knew Christ. It's more important that Christ knows you. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Depart from me, for I never knew you. It's, does Christ know you? If you've heard the call and if Christ knows you, and then the third qualifier of sheep is that they follow me. As sheep follow shepherds. That's the nature of what we are and what we do. You make a faith commitment at some point in your life, and, and you do that. And if those th- th- these, these three things are true, then the next things are equally true. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and eternal life is a gift, and that was the big deal for me. You see, I partially understood that, but it was, it was, it was kind of like our allowance when we were kids. You know, your allowance is something that you parents give you, but what do you have to do in order to earn your allowance, you know? Anybody have to clean your room? You know, things like that. You know, this confusion about works and grace and how much do I do, I blame the Boy Scouts. Bad bunch, you know. Any Boy Scouts here? Yeah, you didn't get the deed. You didn't get the little patch until you did the deed, right? There's no grace in the Boy Scouts of America. They, they They teach work salvation. Stay away from them. You're probably an Eagle Scout. I can just see it in you. Yeah, he's like, he perked up. He thought I was going to say something glorious about the Scouts. I was a Scout until my Scout leader died. Nobody wanted us. It wasn't our fault. (laughs) He, He was out of shape. I'm sorry, I get off on things. Uh, I give them eternal life. It's a gift. You don't earn it. It's not some merit badge you get to pin on. It's not like the, I love the Weeblos. Remember the Weeblos? You got that little, love those things. Second thing he said, they shall never perish. And I still remember John MacArthur's words. He said, if one Christian goes to hell, then Jesus Christ lied. 
And all of my stubborn arguing against this ended at that point. I thought, wow, I'm never going to perish. And the joy was immediately humbled and on my face, bawling. And it was one of the very few times in my life that God actually did speak to me. I was bawling and crying in prayer. And I said, Lord, I'm not worthy of this. And God said to me, I know you're not worthy. That's why my son died for you. Man, I was, I was like, you guess what the first thing I did? I called all of my friends within the Christian church who were also pastors and said, guys, we were wrong. You know, you know we're teaching kids they can lose their salvation? They can't, you know. And they're going, hey, you sound Baptist. I said, well, I don't <laughs> Repent and be Baptist, for all have fallen short of the assembly of God. What do you want? I, I, I didn't... Don't repeat everything. There's this book of enthusiastics that is powerful. It's got a lot of those things in it. When you're looking for a ministry, one of my favorite verses is, go where the money is, God's everywhere. You know. oh, no, that's terrible. Don't just, just forget that one as well. But I immediately called all my pastor friends and said, we were wrong. You know, we're secure. And I began studying. I began studying the Word of God all over again. Because it was one of those situations where, you know, when you're growing up, when you grow up in a church and you're taught something all your life and all of a sudden you find out it's not right, what does that do for the rest of what you were taught? I mean, it was a glorious time, but I was also so unsettled. I went out and bought Hodge's three-volume systematic theology and started reading that. That's desperation if you read those three books. But, you know, I, I wanted to restudy everything I thought I knew because I was just unsure. And so, but that was, that was life-changing. It was life-changing because I realized that I would never perish. And not only would I never perish, Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my, father, out of my hand. My Father has given them to me as greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I remember that feeling of just God having me and Jesus holding me and the Father. And I, I, I viewed it first as, as Jesus held me and then God's big old hand came around Jesus and He held me. And then I realized I was kind of missing the point of that. I and the Father of one. You realize when Jesus holds you, God holds you. When God holds you, Jesus holds you. And the, I and the Father are one. It's not two hands holding you. There's one hand holding you. And His name's God. He has you. You're secure in Christ. You guys believe in security? You better. Sort of? Yeah, good. I don't believe in the easy believism, once saved, always saved. I don't even use those words. That's not in the Bible. Be careful of that. Jesus said you judge a tree by its fruit. You know. Test yourselves. See if you're in the faith. This is not something you look at your friend and go, I'm not really sure about you. You, know, you test yourselves. So, in my journey, as I called all my friends and told them all this, they all called me a heretic. And it was really kind of a difficult time for me because I was, uh, I was pretty active in the local Christian camp in Florida, Lake Wales, Florida. And all of a sudden, I was not allowed to teach the kids anymore because I was not safe. And so they would still let me do rec director, and I play guitar, so I still got to be worship leader. So I still got to go to camp. And so, and when kids would come up to me like I used to be, 
I don't even know why, you know. I, was a, I also taught at a Christian school, so all of my kids called me Mr. Foley. They go, Mr. Foley, I don't even know what the point is. I rededicate my life every year. Every year I go back to school, and every year I lose my, my salvation. He said, what, what good is it? What, what, what's the point? Why would I rededicate if I'm just going to be right back here next year? Why don't I just forget God? And I'd say, hey, don't tell anybody I told you this, but go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look here what it says. It says, by one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. And I was flipping these kids over here about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that, and that tells me I got just a few minutes to stop, 30 or so. No. And I, and I just, I sneak these kids aside and I'm showing them, I'm teaching them how they're secure in Christ. And I said, don't let these guys tell you anything different, man. Look at the Word of God. You know, and I, I was kind of a sub, subversive Calvinist amongst the Armenians, you know, kind of. I am the Father one. So what do you do with this? Well, this was the passage. When I prayed about it, oh, by the way, the promise they shall never perish in Greek, it's a double negative. It's kaiome apolontia. Kaiome apolontia. It's and not not shall they perish. And it's not like in English. In English, if I tell you I have not stopped not drinking, what am I still doing? <laughs> you know, yeah, if I double negative in English, it's wrong. In Greek, double negative, that's why all the translations say they you shall never. You absolutely will never perish. You're not, not going to perish. So that was my life lesson. And then I thought, well, what do I say about it? And I wanted to say this. Hold the truths that you have with humility. Because Robert Cup, who's the pastor of Fellowship Bible Northwest Arkansas, church of about 15,000, he loves taking younger pastors under his wing and kind of mentoring them. He mentored me. And he, he was also one of my professors when I was in my master's program. And he said, Jay said, you can hold truth in one of three ways. You can hold it in arrogance. You're right, and everybody else is an idiot. You can hold it in fear. You have something that you believe, but you've never really studied it. The only reason you believe it is because somebody told you that's what you believe. And you're not confident enough, and so when someone challenges that belief, that position, your fear causes one of two reactions. What are they? They're called, both start with F, fight or flight, that's right. You either run away from conflicts because you can't really argue or talk about it or even give an answer for the hope that's... Or you fight, you, and, and the fear causes you to be either very combative or you just kind of flee away. Or, he said, you can hold the truths that you have in humility. Humility. Meaning, this is where I am today. And the things I believe today, I believe them with all my heart. And I preach them with all my heart. I believe in a premillennial rapture. If that doesn't happen, I'll change my position. <laughs> but not until then, you know. It's one of those things where... But I also understand, guess what? Some of the things that I believe, especially like security, I didn't always believe that. There was a time when I didn't believe in security. But was I in or less secure? Is there anything in the passage that says a person has to believe in eternal security in order to be eternally secure? You see, security is true 
or it's not. And if it's true, the person believing it doesn't make it untrue. You know, every, every now and then someone comes up to me in our church and they say, Pastor, I'm really concerned about so-and-so. I say, why? I say, well, they, don't, they believe you can lose your salvation. I say, calm yourself. You don't have to worry about them. Why? I say, because they're secure, right? Well, I guess so, but don't they have to believe? No, they don't have to believe. They're, they're, you're fine. Just relax. Relax. Because if you get real combative with them, what are they going to do? They're going to fight or flight from you. The principles you're learning here, I just want you to realize you're on a journey. Amen? All of us are on a journey. We come to Christ. My, my favorite definition of discipleship is from Robert Mulholland's Invitation to a Journey. He says, discipleship is the process of transformation into the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's a process. I'm over here, and now I'm becoming like Jesus. Okay, somewhere, hopefully, I've made some movement, and I'm somewhere along the way. But how many of us still have a ways to go? You know? So is there a slight chance that maybe that I'm so right about this now, but I was wrong about it then. Is there a slight chance that maybe God's still moving me along the path here somewhere? Hold these truths with humility. I, I believe my understanding of this, this school is that it's a conservative Christian college. Is that a fair assessment? Conservative Christians have a bad reputation of being what? Judgmental. And the reason why conservative Christians have this bad reputation is because they're judgmental. <laughs> they are. Uh, I'll just tell one little story about my church. When I came there, I had never been to a church that so strongly believed in security of a believer for themselves but had absolutely no confidence for the person next to them. Any, and you've known the church a long time. Oh, yeah, we're eternally secure. They believed it. That was part of the you know, statement of faith. But when somebody else would mess up and maybe fall into some sin or do something wrong, guess what their first reaction was? Well, I'll tell you what that person's problem is. They're not saved. And I'm going, what? I had to rebuke that. I, had to, I mean, I called them out on a Sunday morning. I, we read, I read them from the book of Ephesians, you know being secure, predestined. I said, okay, now apply it to yourself. And they all said, amen. I said, now apply it to the person next to you. And I said, and stop judging. You don't have the authority to do that. John 5 says the Father's entrusted most of the judgment to the Son, right? Now what does it say? All judgment. So my message is, be secure, be kind, play nice, and, and what was the third thing? Oh, no, that was it. Be humble. Yeah. Oh, yeah, stop judging. Stop judging. If you reject somebody that disagrees with you, how are you ever going to be any influence to them? You see, I thank God nearly every day for a pastor that loved me enough to see past my imperfections. So if you're using terms like pure gospel, true gospel, stop it. And I'll say it to the professors in class, if you're doing it, stop it. Just say the gospel. Because when I say pure gospel, I'm implying that if you disagree with me slightly, you believe in what kind of a gospel? Some sort of impure or tainted gospel? If I say this is the true gospel, if you disagree with me even a slice little bit, then you're false. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessary.
drop that for just say the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. Because that's what won this little church Christ boy. And now I play drums in our church and guitar, and I've gone way off the deep end. <laughs> One quick thing, I went back to visit my church Christ where I grew up in. Two or three of the people welcomed me and thanked me. They remembered me. I, I was just, some of them were glaring at me because I left the true church, you know. And they're like, I said, I'm the new pastor at Paradise Valley Community Church. One lady said, what are you doing out there? I said, well, you know, kind of they called me and felt like God wanted me to go. Why didn't you come back here? I said, you didn't call me? (laughs) (laughs) It was going south. It was like, you know, the conversation. In my nature, I love to box. I I used to box. I don't anymore. But I, I realized that was not a part of my nature that I needed to encourage, you know. You ever been knocked out? I was knocked out one time. And all I could think of when I was staring up at the guy, I couldn't move, but I just wanted to get up and hit him, you know. And I, and I realized maybe that's not the best side of me I need to develop. And so, you know, I was boxing one guy, and I was starting to get the better of him. And he ran away from me, and so I let him go in good sportsmanship, right? No, I ran alongside him. I was careful not to touch him. And he was like this, and he looked up, and I just, you know. At any rate, uh, th- this lady was like, she was, you know, putting her dukes up. And I stopped her. I said, look, I just wanted to thank you. You people loved me when I was a new Christian, and you moved me on the path, and thank you very much. And I never went back, and they haven't invited me back. But when I stand before the Lord, I can tell them I love those folks because they love me. And so that's my message. Let's pray. Father, we're all humbled by your message of grace and truth, and whether we believe it or not, our salvation is from you. We were dead in trespasses and sin. You made us alive. We have heard the voice of Christ. We've responded to His voice. We follow Him. Your Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God and will never perish. And that is, Father, just such good news. Help us to share that. Help us to do so in love and humility. And may we reach as many people as we possibly can before Jesus returns. This we pray in Jesus' name.